Well, we welcome everyone to the service this morning. I greet you in Jesus' name. It's good to see the house well filled again. Praise the Lord for bringing the ones back from Haiti and Mexico and I don't know where all those people were. <clears throat> Trust that God can bless us this morning as we look into his word. The title of the message this morning is a cute little phrase that probably most of you have heard before. It's bloom where you are planted. I'm sure all of you have heard that phrase before, and uh, it's a popular phrase. If you look on that website called Etsy, there's hundreds of little trinkets with this phrase on it. <clears throat> Mottos and dresser scarves and necklaces and I don't know what all. But anyway, it's a very popular phrase, and it seems to especially be popular with women for some reason. They like flowers, and this has to do with flowers, and so it resonates with them quite well. If uh, I go to that verse in the Bible that says, Bloom where you are planted, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. <clears throat> Anybody know where that reference is? Well, I don't either. It's not actually in the Bible. But the principle is definitely there that uh, God wants us to bloom. In Matthew 5.14, Jesus said, Ye are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Now this talks about a light, but the same principles apply. Something that is outstanding, that is attractive, and that glorifies God in heaven. <clears throat> this is inferred, these verses are inferring that the whole world is in darkness and we alone are the light that illuminates the Father. <clears throat> and as we think of blooming, we're talking about a flower. I believe as a flower, it's supposed to be a special flower that no one else can reproduce. Only the Christians can produce this attractive flower. The act of blooming is when a plant has a flower and it opens it, <clears throat> opening the flower. And that flower is attractive. It's attractive enough that it makes people stop and look at it. And it doesn't do anything except it just exists. But it's attractive. <clears throat> so I thought about it. What makes a flower attractive? Seems like there's maybe three things that uh, makes a flower attractive. First of all, it's looks. And then it has a smell. And the purpose of a flower is to bear fruit. So that's another thing that makes a flower attractive. <clears throat> so if we apply that to our lives, how does that work? Are we supposed to deck ourselves out and put on the perfume and be attractive that way? No, I'm sure that's not the case. But the end result of blooming is to bear fruit. And as I thought of bearing fruit, that seems for some reason to be a little harder work than blooming, doesn't it? The bloom is the first, and then the fruit comes. It takes a continued walking in that way to bear fruit. 
We also notice that this is an action verb. It's something that we do. It's not something that, um, it's not a noun. I mean, there are blooms that are called nouns, but this is called bloom where you're planted. It's a verb, something that we do. And contrary to the way a flower is, we choose whether we bloom or not. That's a choice we make. And if we don't make a conscious choice, it probably won't happen. It's something we have to choose on purpose. And it doesn't matter whether we are in favorable circumstances or not. If we don't choose to bloom, it won't happen. You know, that phrase says, bloom where you are planted. So that um, gives the thought of different circumstances. Different people are in different circumstances but we are still obligated to bloom. <clears throat> Let's go to Psalms 92. Verses 12 to 15. The righteous shall flourish like the palm tree. He shall grow like a cedar in Lebanon. Those that be planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish in the courts of our God. They shall still bring forth fruit in old age. They shall be fat and flourishing to show that the Lord is upright. He is my rock and there is no unrighteousness in him. Definitely has to do with blooming there, doesn't it? In three verses it talks about flourishing. The righteous shall flourish like the palm tree. Those that be planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish. And they're going to keep on until they're old. They shall bring forth fruit in old age. They shall be fat and flourishing. <clears throat> so, as we read that, it would seem like the people that are planted in favorable circumstances are the ones that are going to be blooming. Those that be planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish in the courts of our God. So if you happen to be lucky enough to get planted in the house of God, then you're obligated to bloom, but the rest of the people, you know, if you can, that's fine, but if not, that's fine too. Is that what it's saying here? Well, I believe that we have a choice in the matter. <clears throat> we have a choice whether we are planted in the church or not. And that's the best place to bloom. There's great benefits to being planted in the house of the Lord, being planted in, in a church. <clears throat> and that's a choice we make. And as I think of something being planted, there's a certain amount of commitment there, isn't it? They can't just get up and walk away. They're planted there. There's a commitment there that we're going to make this thing work. So it's our choice whether we're planted there or not. Are we willing to be planted or are we wanting to just stand around on the fringes and see what happens and not really enter into the work? As I thought of the first verse there, it flourished like a palm tree and like a cedar in Lebanon. If you have a forest where there's lots of trees, they're all together in a group, that's where the trees grow straight and tall. You know, as you drive down a highway and look at the telephone poles or a Electric poles. You don't have telephone poles anymore. The electric poles, um, 
beautiful straight poles, and they grow that way. How in the world can they grow so straight? Around here we don't see them, but if you go out west where there's huge forests that grow really thick, there the trees grow nice and straight. And I'd like to compare that to being planted in the church. That's where we can grow the straightest and be the most beautiful. That's where we help each other bloom and bear fruit. And we also learn to give up ourselves for others. That's another type of blooming. In Ephesians 4.13, it says, Till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That sounds like a flourishing person, doesn't it? A perfect man, one that is blooming. And also in 1 Peter 4.10, As every man hath received the gift, even so minister the same one to another, as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. We all have a gift that God has given us. What are we going to use it for? Are we going to use it for the good of the church or for the good of others around us? Or will we bury it? And that brings us to the parable of the talents. In Matthew 25, 14 to 30, I don't think I'm going to read this. might pick out on some of the verses. Because we know the story quite well, how three men were given talents. One was given five, one was given two, and one was given one. <clears throat> and the first two went and worked with their talents and gained five and two besides. And the last one didn't gain anything more. Which one of those three would we consider as having bloomed? <clears throat> it's the first two. The last one didn't. Was it because he didn't have a gift? No, it was because he had a bad attitude. And what was the result of not blooming? It didn't look very good. It says in uh, verse 30, And cast ye the unprofitable servant into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. That doesn't sound like a very favorable circumstance at the end. Do we have an option to bloom or not? Not really. God definitely wants us to use the talents that he has given us. As I was thinking of this, I thought it would be interesting to have everybody write on a piece of paper how many talents they think they have, gather them all together and see how many people think they have, how many talents they have. I would think most of us think we have only one talent or maybe a half. That's kind of the way we feel. We don't have many gifts. But that doesn't excuse us at all for not using what we have. You know, what if five of us one-talenters would get together and put our five all together in one purse and gain five more? That would be a good attitude. Rather than thinking, well, life isn't fair, I didn't get as much, I don't have enough to work with, you know, on and on and on, we can always think of something negative. There's also some other attitudes that greatly aid in the blooming process. One of them is thankfulness. A thankful attitude is always appreciated. Did you ever hear somebody say, I can't stand him, he's always saying thank you? Nope, a a thankful attitude is, is one that people appreciate. And it's 
something that needs to be cultivated, I believe. I know in my life anyway, it needs to be cultivated. I can think of different people in my life that that uh, I can remember that that's just something that stood out. They were always thankful, even to their own children. Thank you. And I believe it comes from a humble heart, true humility, when we realize that we don't deserve the nice things that other people do for us or the nice things they give us. or We don't really deserve that, but we need to truly be thankful. And then also a thankful attitude to God. In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Oh, there's that verse. I didn't say it right the first time, did I? But in reality, is there much difference between in everything give thanks and bloom where you are planted? This connects thankfulness to God with trust. Trust that God is working his will in our lives, so therefore we are obligated to give thanks. And also Romans 8.28, And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose, being completely sure that God is in control and that no matter where we are, he has this for our good and therefore we need to thank him for it. The Apostle Paul learned this quite well. He said in Philippians 4.11, Not that I speak in respect of want, For I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. That phrase there, for I have learned, is very interesting. There is a lot in there. Where did Paul learn contentment? You know, as we will look at his life, he went through a lot of difficult circumstances. And that's where he learned that whatever God brings into his life is for his good, and he will be content. So as we trust God, it brings contentment. And that also is a way of, of blooming and uh, being a blessing to others, a life of contentment rather than, I wish I had this, and always being a little bit upset because things aren't going our way. Another attitude that is so important for blooming is love for others. Such a big thing, but it's pretty difficult at times. You know, we think of, when we think of loving others, the first thing that comes to mind is being nice to others, caring about them, being thoughtful and helpful. You know, we all like that kind of a way of of loving other people. When things are going good and somebody needs something, oh, we'll be right there to help them. In fact, Philippians 2.4 says, Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. So that's a very important part of loving others. <clears throat> but maybe we could say that's the easy part. Because it gets more difficult. We could ask the question, how do people know that we love them? How do people know that? Because <clears throat> sometimes not everybody has the talents of always being helpful, of always knowing exactly what the person needs and being right there. Some of us don't have those talents, it doesn't seem like. So how do people know if we love them if we aren't able to do that? In 1 John 3.16, 
It says, hereby perceive we the love of God. Okay, so here's how we know that God loves us. Because he laid down his life for us. It's not because he was just nice to us and he was caring and thoughtful. It's because he laid down his life for us. That's getting a little more serious and a little more difficult. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoso hath this world's goods and seeth his brother have need and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. So how are we supposed to lay down our lives for the brethren? We don't really expect to have that opportunity in reality. But I think the heart of it means being willing to decrease so that others can increase. Now there's a lot in that saying, being willing to decrease so that others can increase. That takes care of all jealousy and lots of problems. Okay, so maybe we can master that. We can be willing to humble ourselves so that others can be exalted. Or looking for ways to promote others rather than ourselves. But it gets a little more difficult yet. What if there's misunderstandings or hurts? Can we still do it then? Can we still... um, be willing to decrease so that others can increase, even if we have hurts and misunderstandings come between us. But that's the reality of blooming for Christ. And I'm speaking to myself as much as anybody. So the second part of the phrase there, bloom where you are planted. I'd like to talk just a little bit about that. Being planted means someone took conscious effort to put us where he wants us. It's not just the careless casting out and falling wherever you happen to be. But someone is in control of all that. For those of us that love God, being planted means that someone besides yourself has made a decision about where you should be and what your surroundings will be and has placed you exactly where he wants you. And then considering the fact that this person has infinite wisdom and knows the future far better than we know the present, we should be totally delighted to let him be in complete control at all times of all the circumstances in our lives. Are we totally delighted? I find myself, oh, I wish I was, it would be different here. I wish this would be different. And it's all right to try to improve our circumstances, but to be discouraged and feeling life is unfair about things that we can't change, that's where the problem comes in. We should be totally delighted to let him be in complete control at all times of all the circumstances in our lives. And if we can get that attitude, then it won't be so difficult to look on the positive side of things and let our lives Shine for him. Let our lives bear fruit for him, which is the end result of blooming. Then at the end here, I'd like to think of one example in the Bible 
that to me is a, probably one of the most excellent examples of blooming that I know of, besides Christ. <clears throat> and his name is Joseph. Back in Genesis, we know how his life prospered in many ways. And as I thought of where it started, you know, it doesn't say much about when he was at home and what all happened at home, how he lived at home in a blooming type of a way. But, um, you know, it says that Jacob loved Joseph more than his brothers. And when his brethren saw that their father loved him more than all his brethren, they hated him and could not speak peaceably unto him. So whenever he was around, they had bad things to say about him. They could never be nice. They always were against him. Do you think he felt that? I'm sure he did. He felt it very keenly. But it wasn't too long after this verse that Israel said unto Joseph, Do not thy brethren feed the flock in Shechem? Come, and I will send thee unto them. And what was Joseph's response? He said, Here am I. Do you think the thoughts went through his mind? Oh, these guys don't like me. I don't really want to be out there by myself with them. But he just said, Here am I. If Jacob, if you think I should go, I'll go. And sure enough, things went from bad to worse. <clears throat> he ended up in Egypt. And he could have been very discouraged. He could have been said, Well, what can I do here? <clears throat> But it says the Lord was with Joseph and he was a prosperous man and he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. He was a slave to Potiphar, but he did whatever he could to be a blessing. And Potiphar noticed that and soon he was promoted. Then he was falsely accused and ended up in prison. But there again, the Lord was with Joseph and showed him mercy and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. Was that just the Lord's choosing to bless him so that he can bloom? I think it was because of Joseph's response that God blessed him and showed him mercy. And then eventually he got to be second in, in command with Pharaoh and ruled over the land of Egypt. And we know how God used him to bless his brothers and his father. <clears throat> and another thing that was impressive about him was he never let this caused any bitterness in his life, it didn't seem like. When his brothers came back, notice the emotions that came out. He, it says several times that he wept because he loved his brothers. He didn't allow bitterness to come up and stop that blooming in his life. <clears throat> so I hope that this gives us some things to think about. I know there could be much more said about this, much more in depth. Trust that you can bloom where you are planted, even in a snowstorm.